You are listening to True Crime Twins, a new true crime podcast produced by Crawlspace Media. Welcome back to True Crime Twins. I'm Chloe. Melina here. And we are here to tell you about a case that you might not have heard of. It is very mysterious. It's still unsolved. It involves a 23-year-old woman named Jody LaCornu. She was a senior at Towson State University studying geriatrics. The night she was killed, she had a fight with her live-in boyfriend and went out to the Mount Washington Tavern and had a few drinks. She left the bar went to a liquor store and bought a six-pack of beer. And as she sat in the parking lot, she was approached by a man who is still unidentified. Witnesses described an African-American male standing at about 5'10", wearing a camouflage jacket in his mid-30s, approached the vehicle, and he actually reached in and shot Jody in the back. The bullet hole went through the back of the driver's seat and severed her spine. Despite being shot, Jody was able to drive across the street into another parking lot, a giant parking lot, and hit a curb, stopping the car. What happened next, Melina? After Jody's car came to a stop, the suspect drove over to the next lot towards Jody's car and got out, reached in, and grabbed something, still unknown to this day what he grabbed, and then he left. So this crime was actually, it was in the view of a surveillance camera, but it was snowing that night. So unfortunately, it was, the law enforcement was unable to decipher what was going on. So everything that we know about what had happened in the night in question is based on witnesses' accounts. It occurred right across the street from a gas station. So there were at least five or six witnesses at that time. I learned about this case about two years ago when Tim and Lance launched Crawl Space. We got a lot of requests from people to cover certain cases. And one that really stood out to me was a plea from a woman named Jenny Carrieri. She tweeted to us about her twin who was murdered in Baltimore County back in February of 1996. Since, as everyone knows, Melina and I are twins, that really resonated with me thinking about how that must feel to lose someone that close to you and I looked into the story and I had never heard of it so I ended up calling Jenny and she and I really connected and I've just been really wanting to cover this story and have everyone hear from her she is this fierce and inspiring advocate for her sister and 23 years later she is still fighting for answers So we had a great interview with Jenny, and now let's roll the tape so you can hear it for yourself. Thank you so much, Jenny LaCornu, for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys sharing Jody's story. It's our pleasure. I think it's a case that really deserves more attention, and we're really happy to have you on to sort of share Jody's story from your unique perspective as her twin sister. So I guess a good place to get started is to just tell us a little bit about about Jody LaCornu. Oh my gosh, Jody was just such a sweet girl. Everybody loved her. She was kind to everybody. It didn't matter who who you were, who who it was. She just was very, um, you know, just, I mean, she would give you the shirt off her back. She just, um, you know, I, I just love the story. Um, one of the, when she was waitressing, um, she would, you know, would take classes and work. And um, the, one of the waitresses one day said, I like your shirt, Jody. And she said, did you want it? You know, she would like give the shirt off her back. I mean, she just was very, um, just very, very, you know, just a kind person. And um, uh, she, my dad, I would think about, you know, how he called her our sunbeam. You know, she just kind of glowed. She was very, she was definitely the more outgoing one. And um, I was always the shy one. And um, 
but you know it, that being said she definitely you know she got older she she developed a lot of anxiety uh just really afraid of everything and um i don't know if that i i mean i, I guess the more i learn about anxiety it seems like a lot of people you know as they get close to their 20s like it seems to be a time like where they hit, they get the start having issues with that but you know she was living in Baltimore and had had a lot of anxiety about living there. Um, she lived there with her boyfriend and she had a dog. She loved her dog and she struggled, like I said, with the anxiety. But she really um, um, just she was just such a such a good person. It it really sounds like she was just a special kind of person, and that you two had a very special relationship. You know, you said, you know, she was the outgoing one. You were the shy one. Do you feel like you're just, you know, growing up together as twins sort of shaped your personalities? I guess we kind of like completed each other. I mean, I kind of felt like that, you know. Um, she just, um, you know, I always I always felt very m- more comfortable. I mean, we were always together, you know, always grow- growing up, like in several well, My parents used to dress us alike and... Um, we would, um, be in the same classes, the same friends, you know, we were, we were, we referred to, it was like we were one person, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we'd go to our friend's house and they'd be like, the twins are coming over. And, you know, we were like, it was always just, just like us as one, you know what I mean? And, um, and you probably know, you know, being twins, um, you know, it, when we grew up, it was a, a small town and, and um, definitely people were just mesmerized by twins. And um, we would, um, you know, when we'd start school, middle school, I, I, immediately it was, it was really nice because that's like, that's a tough age. And, you know, people just right away were nice to us, you know, because they liked, they're like, oh, twins, you know, and um, they just, you know, had fun with, you know, trying to tell us apart and, um so it it was nice, you know. We definitely, um, I, I feel like that was um, good. That um, you know, because like in starting high school, and um, but you know, we had the same room. But I always, like I said, you know, I was referred to as Jenny the Wimp, and um, and she just was just out there, you know. So if you could, even when you look at the pictures, you can see that she definitely was the more, like, outgoing, glamorous one. She, like, always had her... Yeah, I was kind of, like, the nerdy one. Like, she always had her hair, like, this great hairdo. And um, the zinc pink lipstick, she was known for this, like, lipstick. And, I mean, she just was definitely, like, out there. You know what I mean? No, it sounds like you were kind of yin and yang. And I think we can relate. Yeah. yeah and we can relate to you that. You can that. For sure. Just growing up. And, yeah, I mean, I, when you when you're when you emerge into adulthood and you know, you spend more time apart, you know, when you go to the same school and you're in the same classes, you're with each other every day. I feel like those personality differences become really natural because like you said, you sort of complete each other. So for me, myself, I was always the, the more outgoing one, the more daring one. And Melina was the shyer one. And we can definitely relate to it's sort of a really nice conversation starter. People want to, you know, tell you apart and and do all that fun stuff. So it's it's really nice growing up and being close, being close with your twin. Oh, yeah. That's interesting to hear the other. You know, I mean, to hear it from another. I mean, I've never talked to another twin about that. I, I like hearing that. That's interesting. Yeah. And, um, so were you guys in the same classes and same room and all that? My mom eventually had us separated because she didn't think that it was good for our, uh, I guess, like our emotional development to just have each other. I think it's, I don't know. I don't think it's like this for everyone, but I think maybe it made it a little bit harder for us to make friends. Like, I think it is a good conversation starter, but perhaps it motivated us just a little bit less to branch out when we always had each other to fall back on. And it's very comforting to always have like a built in friend. But she she must have read it in a book somewhere or something. <laughs> oh wow! Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's yeah. We eventually got separated, but it was sort of <laughs> a kind of a different story. But um, <laughs> yeah, but we were we were definitely always together. And then, so you know, you said when she was twenty three, she was living in Baltimore and living with her boyfriend. Where were you living at the time? 
So um, I had ended up out, uh, you know, out west. Jody and I had gotten into some struggles in high school, and um, I don't know how much of it you want me to go into, but um, that's what initially, you know, separated us. And um, my parents, I guess they, I guess I could kind of say that they separated us. My parents took me out to Wyoming. We had family out there. And um, my grandparents had retired out there, and they put me on a dude ranch. And we were just kind of, we kind of got wild in high school. And um, so my, you know, Jody ended up going to Baltimore and, um, you know, moving in with her boyfriend. And and she had, you know, calmed down, and and my parents were still trying to work on me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So that's why they, they put me out there. And um, so I was, um, you know, I just, I, 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 I look back and I just, I'm thinking, I don't know why. I mean, I know why, you know, I had gotten my life together out there. And um, so I ended up, I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay at, it was like a summer job on a dude ranch. And we still talked on the phone every day. And um, we racked up, you know, with the landline phones. I don't even see those anymore, but we racked up phone bills all the time. And, um, and I just decided we had some cousins in California um, that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out here for a little bit and just sort of keep keep up, try to, you know, stick with the the straight and narrow path. And I thought, you know, if I came back, that I, I was worried about what would happen not being with her, but just being in the same scene, you know what I mean? And um, so we, um, so it ended up, that's how I ended up going to California, but I got engaged out there, and that's what kept me out there, sadly. I mean, um, but like I said, we still stayed in touch and, um, you know, had no problem cracking up credit card bills to fly home to see her, you know what I mean? It was a bit irresponsible, but we, we always, you know, we wanted to be with each other, but yeah. we were both than having these relationships, you know? Yeah, no, when we we went to college in, in different states and, you know, you know, at this time, you know, so when you and Jody were separated, it was in the 90s. When we were separated, it was, it was starting in, I think, 2012. So we would, our form of communication was pretty much daily FaceTiming or video chatting yeah so we but we were like like you were describing you know pretty much we kept in very close contact even though we were physically separated we made a point of it to stay in touch and to stay close because it's it's such an important relationship oh definitely definitely yeah we just we wanted to, to be together and um so yeah I mean it was definitely um I don't know I have so many like mixed emotions about it like just hate that we were separated for that time you know and then she was killed when I was out there you know you know there was alcoholism in our family and Jody and I started to to go down that path and and so that's what happened is it ended up in rehab and that 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 that, when we were there we couldn't um they wouldn't let us be together there in the treatment program so that was actually not you know probably that when we were like separated from the hip you know what I mean like we, we they didn't want us to be they wanted us to sort of like just get healthy on our own and um I mean she actually when she got out of the treatment uh, a little it was a little while after she had started drinking again but um you know so I um stayed you know sober and um but she she struggled with it you know and that was like a big problem with her um you know, with her boyfriend, I, like they both uh, drank. He was a lot older than her, and um, you know, even though she was functioning, it wasn't good for her. And it was sort of, um, I don't know if that's the right word, like fueling her anxiety. She, you know, she, she it was like a, I guess, just being on like a hamster wheel. I, I don't know how to describe it, but like you're you're anxious and you think you need something to calm your nerves, and then you wake up and you're anxious again. That was her her thing, and. Um, you know, and that was a lot of their issues is, you know, she liked to go out and, and locally. I mean, she, she, there was a tavern that she liked to go to, which was the night before she died. And, um, she, um, 
was there, um, and her boyfriend, he wanted, he liked to be at home and just be with her and drink at home. And she wanted, you know, just go with her friends. And, you know, that's what happened when they got into a fight the night, you know, before the morning, that, that morning of March 1st, he told her not to come home. She left and then went, um, you know, went to the bar, the Mount Washington Tavern, which is where she liked to go. And, um, and he was at, he was a, he was a teacher. So we thought a school dance. So, so, um, so she went to the the tavern and spent a good part of the evening there. She had gone with a couple of her friends, and she ended up um, there was a, an employee that somebody asked her to drive home, and it was snowing that night, and she would not have driven in the snow. And I mean, like I said, that like she was afraid of every. She was afraid, and she she would never. She went to sit in a dark parking lot after she dropped him off. Um, she did stop and buy a six-pack of beer, which, you know, we go back and forth. Maybe was she meeting somebody um, in that parking lot? And, and you know, why didn't she um, have a – I mean, she had lots of friends. Why didn't she have a place to stay, uh, figure out a place to stay? So she um, was afraid you – know, she was afraid she was going to get shot in Baltimore. I mean, she would say that. She was – I mean, she was afraid of her closet. I mean, she was, like I said, when I talk about her anxiety, it was very severe. So it was just very out of character. I mean, this employee was, he was handicapped a bit, mentally handicapped. And um, so he didn't really talk well. I don't know. He he was the janitor. And um, so I, I, I just, I don't know. Um, I, I just, like that late at night for her to drive somebody home. I, I don't know that she knew him that well. And so it's just like saying the whole night was so bizarre that my family just can't figure out, you know, and then going to sit in this parking lot and she made some phone calls in the parking lot and, um, you know, coupled back to the bar, uh, one to a, a, a friend of hers. It was, it was a, a girl that she had actually moved in with her for a period of time Prior to that, the girl, I, I think she didn't, I, I think she didn't have a place to live. And that was Jody. She just, you know, helped somebody. And, um, but it was, you know, she called their house and talked to her boyfriend. And um, so it's just, it's, there's just so many different pieces, you know, these calls, the people that she talked to knew where she was. Um, she left the bar, I would assume she had talked to people and, I don't know if she had said, told people where she was going, but um, so she's sitting there in the Caldor parking lot, which is now the Drum Castle Government Center, and she um, witnesses, saw an uh, African-American approach her vehicle, and there was a, so parallel to where she was parked, there was a gas station, and I believe there was the attendant, that was like a 24-hour gas station, he called 911. And then across the street, about four or five lanes, is a 24-hour giant and a Boston market where there was a truck where there was workers unloading for the night. I mean, it was in the middle of the night, but there was witnesses around. And there was, they told me there was up to six witnesses. So she, they said that they think there might have been a conversation. He walked up to her, her window was rolled down. But uh, she drove, he shot her from behind. Like, she was shot in the back. It went through the back of the car and into the seat. And they tell us that it severed her spine. But we don't know because we're unable to see anything. We have not, they will not give my family the autopsy. They won't give us any, you know, the original police report, any of the medical records, nothing. We can see nothing. And so, um, but it's just interesting. They say she suffered a spine, but she was able to drive. I mean, she literally, I mean, to get out of that parking lot was pretty difficult. And then to drive across four or five lanes into the giant parking lot, she drove across the street. And that's where the witnesses saw this. He was in a white BMW. Follow her. And she did a huge circle around the giant parking lot, which where there were, people there as well and they the police tell us that the cameras were not working that night in the parking lot 
And so she ended up coming to a stop, and I believe she hit a curb. And they, the witnesses saw the suspect drive up to her, uh, drive up to her car and put her, they said he reached over her and put her car in park and said took something out of her car and just was very slow, you know, not in a rush and just got back in his car and slowly drove out of there and turned a, a right on York Road and then a right on Walker Avenue. And that's all that, that's, you know, that's what we're told. And, um, you know, I've been trying really hard to get more information and over the years trying to, um, you know, my father was a prosecutor for drug and violent crime in another county. And, um, you know, there were so many different theories that they looked at and, you know, he would, I mean, for years, I just couldn't even cope. I mean, I just was very, um, just, just like trying to live. Like I just, and I was so worried about my parents and, uh, wanted to make sure, you know, that they weren't sad. And I I was always like a caretaker. And so I wasn't involved in the investigation and just assumed that the police were, I mean, this, the whole, like, murder, you know, it, it's just, like, it was just so, like, like, this doesn't happen. Like, this is, this is something you see on TV. And so, um, you know, I just didn't understand anything. And, I mean, I was so, I, I was so, such a wreck. I couldn't even be alone in a room by myself. I actually, like, moved back after she died. And, and um, you know, several years later, I ended up, getting meeting somebody and we eloped and um because I didn't want to have a wedding I was like I how could I possibly have a wedding and um and you know my father got sick with cancer and I spent a lot of time taking care of him and he died and it just was just another horrible um horrible time you know he was sick so he had this bed that he would lay in and um you know there was all this stuff under his bed about Jody and it was a newspaper articles and notes he'd write and um so you know as, as time went on and and me being the the wimpy one I was always you know my husband would tell me you need to get a backbone because he'd always see people taking advantage of me and things and I, I say that because like all of a sudden I just turned into this person where I was like oh my gosh like I am I am going to figure out what happened to her and I will go to any, you know, go to any length. Like, um, and, and, and I just started trying every avenue, you know, reaching out to people and, and, you know, talking to the police and trying to get all the information I could and, and talking to just whoever, you know, going back to the bar and, and trying to get her story out on the anniversary and, and just, constantly you know the, the same detective's been on the case since day one and I would just constantly reach out to him asking him questions and just trying to figure all this out and um so it's almost like I took on her strength you know what I mean like like um and just have been on this mission that has that I have not not well, not like, never let go of, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have not let go of it, and, um, you know, it's caused, you know, like I said, I had the lawsuit for, uh, it, it was a long time trying to get her file, trying to get records, and it was just very difficult going through that with the police. It caused a, a nasty uh, relationship, and, you know, it's not that I didn't want that, but... Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 all I want is to find out who killed Jody, and it's just I feel sometimes like I'm the bad person here. You know, it's like I would reach out to everybody, like write letters to the county executive. Like I was just trying to just, I would just still today lay in bed at night. Who can I talk to? Who can I reach out to? How can I? Who else can I share her story to? I mean, I just reach out to people. I'm like, will you please share her story? I reach out to reporters and. Um, whoever, you know, and, and one thing leads to another. And um, so, it, and, and I just, it's incredible 
the amount of support that I've gotten from like the reporters and the journalists and people wanting to help and share her story. And, um, you know, I've had, it's interesting. I've had people that, that I don't even know that want to help. You know, I had a, this, um, she became a friend that, that helped or she did it, the justice for Jody page. Cause I don't know how to do anything on a computer even though that's, that's what my degree was in in college, but um, I don't know how to um, <laughs> do anything. Um, so, you know, she developed, we're, we're revamping that right now. And, um, um, you know, and, and I had three children in, in, over the years, and, and it's caused, you know, a tremendous um, stress in my family and in my relationship with my husband. Um, and, and I see, you know, I mean, he's, supportive but it it but it comes to times you know with the lawsuit and and um we've put a ton of money mainly my mother and we've put some in um I don't know if I said this but you know it was under twenty thousand dollars trying to get her her file and um her files and you know like I said um the 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 stress on the, the family life and just because I'm so consumed by it, and um, it's like I feel like I'm not. Some a lot of times I'm not present. Like I feel like my kids like might be talking to me, and I'm I'm like thinking about something about Jody. And you know, um, I was at my Millisons lacrosse game yesterday, and I was on the headset, like on my earbuds, doing a call. Um, about a meeting I had about Jody's case today, you know, the whole the whole time. Like I, but I'm watching the game. But it's like it's definitely um, I'm I'm constantly doing stuff, and um, you know, people are like, "Why are you doing this? You're killing yourself," and um, you know, it's not going to bring her back, and and it kind of makes me mad when people say that, and um, you know, but it's like I I can't not do it, you know. It's it's how can I not? Like I I could just never just like let go. And, and just, you know, move on. I mean, I've had periods of, like, severe depression. I mean, it was, like, um, the anniversary, uh, the, the 22nd year anniversary. And I just, you know, because I, I feel like I truly haven't, like, I, I, I haven't fully grieved, you know. It's like you just kind of go through the motions of life. And, and I have lots of blessings. I'm very, feel very lucky. Um, but it's like there's always this sadness in me. And it just like hits me, you know. And um, I, um, I, I just got real low, um, and and I just was like, I did not. I had no desire to live, and I, I was doing like desperate things. I started reaching out to a prisoner, and um, just doing things that weren't safe. Somebody that I believe is involved, and um, just things that I can't get too specific in. But um, my husband, and, and I didn't tell him right away, and, and, and he's like, when I finally told him, he was very upset. Like, what are you doing? We've got children. You're putting us in danger. And um, But it was like, I didn't care. I was like, I didn't care that if the, the bullet that took her took me. Yeah, it's just like, I just, I, I, and I was like, I really, like, I had to get help because I was just feeling um, like, I, like, I'm like, I'm like I've got to get it together. Like I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a wife, and um, so, and I still struggle with that balance, you know. And and the end of this year, I, um, I was like, okay, like cause I was like hitting a low point, and I was like, you know, and and I, I struggle with my own issues still with the anxiety and and an eating disorder, and and it's just like, and it gets really out of whack, and the depression, and and it's like. And then I'm like, oh, my God, like, I've got to, like, take care of myself. And I was like, you know, the end of this last year, I was like, I'm really just going to, like, do less. But then, like, all of a sudden, I, like, and I just started getting these calls from, like, the Today Show and People Magazine. And it was just, like, turned into this huge thing. But I'll back up because I didn't get into the billboards yet. I was just going to bring up the billboards because that was something I thought was pretty genius and it got a ton of press. Like I saw the headlines just all over social media, you know, um, you know, help, you know, who killed Jody? 
find my killer and it just has this amazing picture of you and you do not look like wimpy jenny you look like a warrior in your pink coat standing in front of those billboards it's amazing what you've done oh well that's the thing like i just i feel like i've just turned into this um force to be reckoned with to the bill so we, you know we saw that movie um three billboards outside ebbing missouri and i just i loved it and um, I thought, I'm going to do this. The first, the first one went up on York Road, and we, we picked it um, down there as close as we could to where she died. And um, so in, I am telling you, I had, I mean, I had so many, it was, it was amazing. Like, I had all the Baltimore show. Like, I'm literally driving up to Baltimore, and I'm getting called from CNN and Good Morning America. Like, all these people are like, can you come in? And be like, I mean, it was just, like, insane. Um, but I mean, fantastic and wonderful. Like I, I just was just like, on. I'm, I'm, I will just do any interview. Like, cause I think each time I do an interview, I think this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And, um, you know, and that billboard was up for six weeks and they did have a few calls come in. And then I was like, you know what, I am going to do three billboards because, you know, just thought like after the movie and, um, and put them up throughout the city. They felt like I wanted to get them sort of near, more of the crime element area and um so we put we picked different spots in the city you know going through working with clear channel to put three billboards up and that just that like went worldwide like did interviews with like bbc and um french le monde newspaper and french television and like i just saw an article they did about her in china it was incredible the attention that all the billboards have gotten. And, and I've recently done another one, and I'm not sure if you saw it, to the governor. I designed that one. It has, like, the Maryland flag on it, and it has Jody's picture, and it says, Governor Hogan, please help my family find my killer. And so that's going up next week, like, right near City Hall um, and near the Baltimore police. Like the, it's, it's in the city. So I'm really excited about that one. I mean, I definitely get highs and lows, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's so many, like, I like I put these, you know, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, like, her story's everywhere. Something's got to happen, you know? And then it's like, and then, like, my phone rings, and I'm like, I'm thinking, this is it. They're going to call and tell me they have an arrest, and it's like, you know, some sales call, you know? And I'm like, ah. Like, so it's, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. And, I mean, just, like, the emotions going through it, and it's you know, people like you reaching out that want to help and share a story. I mean, that's like, that's what like lifts me up, you know? <clears throat> no, it's, she, she uh. really deserves it. And so, so do you and, and the rest of your family. Um, it's just, it's such a mysterious story and you've worked so hard to try to get answers. And it's just, I mean, this happened in 1996 and it's just, it's so unbelievably unfair that you're at this point. Do they yeah. know if um, if if the killer left any DNA behind? Well, I mean that's the thing. When I when I recently did the NBC interview with Lester Holt, they reenacted the crime scene, and um, they really believe that he touched her clothes. You know, touched her like when he leaned over. There's no way he could not have not touched her. So um, we are working on um, getting, I have it all in place. Like, I've been working with the president of MVAC. They have, you guys with that? Like a new way to, to, to extract the DNA. Oh, very good. So it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it. I think it's like a small little vacuum. Um, and, and like they can get, try to like, get like the DNA off of her clothes. So that's what I'm, but I'm like, I said, it's like I'm working with different people and then I have to go through the lawyers to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so like nothing's easy, No, uh, you know? <laughs> and, um, so this has been going on for a couple of weeks, like waiting for them to like move forward on this. You know what I mean? They did get fingerprints. Um, but they, you know, they tell me they've never been able to match that up. Okay, but they ha so they have they have the fingerprints on file. Um, for a physical description, do they know how how old this person is? How tall he might be? 
I believe they said 5'10 in like his mid-30s. Okay. And I mean, just from, I mean, you were living on the other side of the country. From your contact with her friends, it sounded like you did a good amount of investigating on your own, going back to the bar and everything. Were you able to determine that whether or not Jody knew someone that matched that description? No. I mean, not that I, I mean, I did not know of anybody. No, not at all. And um, that's just what's so, you know, and I go back and forth, like, with this theory and my different theories in my head all the time. Like, was it random? You know, but why, was it a robbery? But if it was a robbery, why didn't he just put a gun up? You know, if he's having a conversation with her, wouldn't a normal robbery, they just put a gun up to you and say, give me your purse? You know, right. and, and, you know, and then there's the theory was she, you know, she wasn't, um, was the theory was she buying drugs? I mean, she wasn't doing drugs. She had an alcohol problem. You know, we did experiment in high school. Um, did she get into a big fight with her boyfriend and, and was like, you know what, I just like can't take it anymore. I'm going to do something crazy or, you know what I mean? Like, I just need to numb all this. I mean, maybe. Um, but for her to, you know, like I would like bet my life on, she would never have like stolen drugs from somebody and drove away. I mean, she, that's just not, I mean, like I would, that is like one thing that I am like a 1 million percent sure. Like she would, that's just not something that she would do. There's so many different scenarios that they thought about, um, was it a ran, you know, random thing, somebody coming up to her, but, like, why would he shoot her? Um, was, like, maybe the guy was on drugs himself? Maybe, I, I mean, I really, like, narrowed it down to, like, she, they know there was no drugs in her system from what they tell us, but I've narrowed it down to um, two different theories, like, that I think it maybe it was a random, or, like, was he, like, trying to, like, sexually assault her, like, trying to get to her? Maybe he, maybe... Maybe it was like a quick, maybe he walked up to her and she saw and she drove away, but just for him to shoot, I, I, it's, just, it's just so odd. I, I don't know. I mean, I like, I don't know. What, what, is, what is your guy's thought? Well, I'm wondering how long did the eyewitnesses say that, that they spoke before he went and shot her? Well, I never got that. That's the thing is I never, I, that's never been told to me. Yeah, that because I feel like that would be such an important element. Yeah, to yeah. know if if there was some familiarity there in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's it it could be just a, a random act of violence, but it's really hard to understand what the motive is. You know, you mentioned there's a theory that she was, you know, it was a, a prearranged drug deal that she, and and like you said, you really don't think this is the case that. Oh, what if she, you know? What if she drove away without paying the guy? But that doesn't really that doesn't match what I people know. saw and, and at all. He was in a bar that was known for cocaine. Like you could get it behind the bar. Like so, if 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 she's, I mean, known, you know, it was like proper, you know, like people were doing it there in the bar, you know, and and so why if she was there since after work and she wanted it. I mean, and the, as scared as she was, why would she, like, go in a dark parking lot and meet some dark stranger when she could get it from somebody, one of, somebody she knew at the bar? Do you see what I'm saying? Especially like, with just, how fearful it, she was about most everything. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. it doesn't really match with what happened because, you know, she's, she's sitting in a parked car. The person approaches the car. She doesn't drive away until she's shot. So, like, I don't think... That doesn't explain why someone would shoot her. You know, if if she drove away and then someone shot her, oh, maybe she was, maybe she ripped someone off. Maybe she was trying to get away from someone. But it seems like, from what it sounds like, the order of events is she was just sitting in the car. She wasn't trying to leave, and he's and he shot her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, and then, I mean, I've had lots of people say, I think it was a hit, like, you know, because she was shot from behind, and then he came back to check her pulse, like, I, I mean, there's just, I mean, the, the theories that I hear is just, I mean, that's the thing, it's like, it's just, none of it adds up, I mean, all of it is just, like you said, like, just such a mystery, you know? Absolutely, it's, it, and, and I think that's, I mean, it, it 
the story really resonated with me, not just because, you know, I, I, just me growing up in a similar way as you did, just with the twin sister and having that bond and just not even being able to imagine how painful this whole experience has been for you. And Yeah, and it, the crazy thing is, it's like, I think because I was so numb for so long, it's like, it's more painful. Like, it's like as time goes on. I mean, it's been 23 years. I mean, she died when she was 23. And we just hit 23 years, you know, yeah. at the anniversary. And it was it was also my parents' um, wedding anniversary that she died on. It's just gotten really, really much, much more difficult. Like, I think, I think because I'm dealing with her loss, you know, people would be like for years worried about me. They're like, you're not dealing with this and dealing with her loss and then dealing with trying to find the murderer. And so it's like, it's just, it's like, it can be so overwhelming. And then, um, you know, dealing with the, the system, you know, dealing with that and just feeling like, you know, like, I think I mentioned earlier, like I'm the bad person, like, oh my gosh, like, it's like, it's so disheartening sometimes, you know, like thinking, like, don't these people, like, get it? Like, 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 I think that there's many people that wish I would go away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. You know, you're, and, you're, you're and, fighting and, for and, something and, and you're getting pushback. It's, it's, it's frustrating yeah. and when you're in an and, and, adversarial and, relationship. Of course, I think that'll make you feel like you're doing something wrong. But I just, I hope you always come back to the fact that you're not. Thank you. And, you know, and, and like the, the, the fam, you know, my family life and, and, and like, you know, and getting that like sadness. Cause I feel like, I feel like my life is, I don't know how to start, like, like it, part of me is missing, you know, and it's like, and I, I just, I feel unsettled. I mean, there, there's a lot. And I, like I said, like, I just kept going through the motions. Like even still today, I can't sit still. Like I, I literally, I'm either like running like crazy or I'm laying flat asleep. And when I'm laying flat asleep, I want it to be quick because I don't want to like lay and think about anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Am I still being like a good mom and a good wife and um, taking care of taking care of everybody and, um, you know, being there? You know, my, my youngest daughter, she's nine and, and we, we have like a really strange relationship. I mean, we're in therapy and, um, you know, and, and there's, I, uh, you know, I think because a lot of her life has been, like, really intense, that I, it's been, like, the intense part of me, like, searching for Jody's killer. I mean, just the other night, um, she was looking, you know, we have baby books for the kids, and, and I was looking for some pictures of Jody and I when we were little for something, an interview or some, something, and, and she all of a sudden was like, where's my baby book where's my baby book like going in panic like she wanted me to focus on oh my gosh it makes me emotional um like she wanted to like um like look at her baby book oh my gosh um (laughs) you know I think she feels like I'm like so focused on Jody sometimes and then it's like she's like what about me what about me and you know, and she was like panicked about her book, like we couldn't find it. And but because I was like, oh my gosh, look at these pictures of Jody and I. And 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 it's like I know she's like, you know, I know it's like hard on her. So and it's like it affects all know, of you. Like, so hard because I feel like you know I want to like make that right, make make it right with her. I'm sorry, it makes me so emotional. No, it's it's such an emotion. Um, it's so emotional. It is, it is, and I just feel like, uh, you know, it's like I just she and I struggle a lot, you know, and it's like it's a lot of stress, and she she acts out a lot, you know, and and you know, and I, it's it's like this, it's like this vicious cycle, you know, and it's like so I'm trying to like really get right with this, and and, and it's interesting because I don't have the issues with my boys you know they're they're 14 and 17 and and um but like you know like their early years I wasn't you know so I wasn't so involved in Jody's case I I really I just think your honesty about how this has affected you know not just you but like the next generation it it just shows how much 
getting answers would mean for you. It's like this missing thing in your heart and it affects, it doesn't affect just you. What, what this person did to Jody affects your whole family. It's so huge. Like, and, and like you saying it like that, like it just like, it's so true. You know what I mean? Like, it's like just looking at like the whole picture, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's like, it's, it's affecting my whole family. You're so inspiring and you've, Aww. you've been through, you've been through just so much pain and anguish just over the past 23 years, but because of this, this violent act that just changed the trajectory of your life and, and you're just overcoming obstacle after obstacle, you know, when you get your hopes up time and time again, and it's just crushed and taken away from you, but you still find a way to restore your spirit and your hope it's it's very inspiring and you know anyone that's listening to this i'm sure is inspired and probably feels how i feel which is that it's you just you you deserve answers so much and i just want that so badly for you i really want to thank jenny for coming on and sharing her experiences she was so open about her perspective on how this all happened on her childhood memories with Jody and the aftermath of this case and how the violent acts of the suspect have affected her and her entire family and future generations that never even met Jody. So thank you so much, Jenny. I just want to clarify the timeline a little bit before we go further into discussion. So after the bar closed on Friday night, She drove an employee of the bar home at 2 a.m. After she dropped him off, she went to an ATM. Then Jody picked up a six-pack of beer and went to the Calder parking lot in Baltimore City where she sat and made a few phone calls. She called the Mount Washington Tavern where she had been out that night to speak to the manager but was told he was busy. She also called a friend of hers and spoke to that friend's boyfriend. A man who is the suspect, he pulled up in a white BMW to her white Honda Civic. She rolled her window down. After a brief exchange, Jenny wasn't sure how long. He fired a handgun through her back. Was the gun pointed inside of the car or on the outside of the car? What I'm looking at here says it was outside of the car. The bullet went through the driver's seat, the back of the driver's seat. So I'm not sure if he shot through the window or if the shot went through the door. Okay, or if he was behind the car. Right, but he had pulled up and was standing outside of the car speaking to her, and she had rolled down the window. So he was standing right in front of her, basically. He wasn't behind the car, at least when they first started speaking. So just breaking down things a little bit, I think an important point of confusion is whether or not Jody knew her perpetrator. That's something that Jenny was very clear about, that she's still not really sure. It's still really unclear based on the evidence. So Jody got into a fight with her boyfriend that night and was told to not come home. And her behavior later on was really out of character, as Jenny described. She was someone that was really anxious, was paranoid about something bad happening to her in Baltimore, being a victim of violent crime. She was afraid to drive in the snow, yet she was driving. She was afraid of uh, being victimized, yet she was sitting alone in the parking lot at 2.30 in the morning. The question sort of is, why was she acting so out of character? I have two theories on that. I think that it could have just been a temporary adjustment issue where she was upset that her boyfriend kind of ended things and she was sort of acting out because of an inability to cope. I don't think he ended things. We were just told that he told her not to come home that night. I don't think anyone's reported a breakup. I kind of assume that because if you're kicking out your girlfriend, isn't that sort of like the end of the relationship or something really bad? happening in the relationship some relationships are more volatile than others i think they were both drinking heavily Mm -hmm. i don't think it necessarily meant it was the end i think maybe in a healthy relationship once that happens it's over but okay well either way i'm sure that she was shook up from that at least a little bit so maybe she was acting out as a result but no matter what the reasoning is her behavior was undoubtedly risky 
Right. And I think that's probably lead that's probably led some people to speculate that maybe she was well, I think we know that she was intoxicated that night. It's led some people to think that maybe she was under the influence of drugs. Now, Jenny hasn't had access to the autopsy report and toxicology report, but she was told by law enforcement that there were no traces of drugs in Jody's system. So I think maybe what explains the change in behavior is what you were describing. You're coping with a sort of traumatizing event of a serious fight with a boyfriend and you're just trying to feel better. I think sitting and waiting in a parking lot and buying a six pack of beer sort of suggests wanting to go out and meet someone, which I think leads to the train of thought. Maybe her perpetrator was the person she was planning on meeting. But I mean, think about it when you're meeting someone, if you're waiting to pick someone up in the car, you wouldn't roll down the driver's side window in the snow and speak to them as they're standing outside talking to you. If you were expecting them, they would probably just wave to you, you unlock your door, and they enter your car and sit in the passenger seat. Yeah, so maybe he approached her asking for something, pretending like he was lost, maybe. Yeah, the, just the way that he approached her makes me feel like there's less familiarity. But like I said, since we don't know really how long they were talking, it's sort of hard to speculate. But I feel like if it was a planned meeting, he would have just approached the passenger seat. Yeah. The fact that she bought a six-pack of beer also has led some people to think that it was a planned, prearranged meeting. But as Jenny described, she did have some issues with alcoholism, and perhaps it was just for her or for later. She, We know about certain phone calls that she had made. Jenny is privy to that information, so you'd think that if she was planning on meeting with someone that night the police would have been able to glean that from her phone records, and as of yet, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, there is no phone record that could that could hint at the viability of a suspect. It's well, an unknown suspect. Yeah, and we haven't seen the phone records, so we don't know. Maybe that's something that they're keeping under wraps. Maybe yeah. they do have a suspect based on the phone records, but you'd think that would kind of clarify things for them and it would be a clear shot in moving forward that investigation. Yeah. But I, from what I think, given how deadlocked this case is, I don't think that they have an indication of who the suspect is based on phone records. So let's talk about what this suspect might be doing now, what he might look like now. This happened 23 years ago. So how old approximately would this guy be now? Jenny said that he was described to be in his 30s. This was 23 years ago. So he'd be in his mid-50s. Okay, and 5'10", he was big at the time. One can assume that somebody gets bigger with age, less healthy maybe. Or smaller. You can get bigger or smaller if you're unhealthy. Yeah, maybe that was too quick to judge. (laughs) I've just seen it go both ways. But we we know that he is a middle-aged African-American man, stocky build, approximately 5'10". He could still be in the Baltimore area. He could have been passing through. His profile really depends on whether or not he knew Jody. So let's talk about someone that just did this as a stranger who just saw this as a crime of opportunity. What are they looking to get out of this? You know, if you're approaching a young woman, maybe a motivation is a robbery, maybe it's sexual assault when you're approaching them at random, but all he did was talk to her and then shoot her. And as far as we know, nothing was missing from the vehicle. But then again, we don't have an inventory of the vehicle prior to the exchange. We know that he reached in and grabbed something. So maybe it was a robbery. Or at least intended to be so. Maybe he reached in and attempted to grab something, but didn't even find anything. But either way, it kind of seems like that the motive had something to do with the the intention to rob or burglarize. I mean, we don't know that. It could have been a completely disorganized person. It could have been a mentally ill person who had some sort of paranoid delusion that was just acting irrationally. And it's difficult, if not impossible, to try to rationalize or break down irrational behavior. This could have, it literally could have just been someone in a severe episode of psychosis. And I'd like to put in a disclaimer that many, if not most people that are dealing with psychosis don't resort to violence. I think it's a common stereotype that people that are schizophrenic or psychotic are inherently violent or prone to acts of violence. That's definitely not the case. What the 
pattern is is a lack of touch with reality and sometimes when you're delusional those delusions grow paranoid and sometimes in response to that paranoia or in response to certain ideas or beliefs violence can result and if this was a random act and it just resulted from a very brief conversation and it wasn't robbery i do think it's possible that this is just a mentally ill person you know now that you say that i kind of have like an entire vision in my head that i didn't previously have it seems like some stars align for me i for some reason what i have a feeling about now is that maybe this guy felt slighted by her in some way maybe he was at the same bar that night or had encountered her some other time that day and maybe he felt like she was disrespectful or rude or whatever I really don't know and then maybe he just like was following her after that right and crimes that are committed by a stranger are the most difficult to solve because there's a lack of uh, victim offender relationship so where does it investigate where does an investigator even start how can they make that connection so when there is no connection, it's easy to say, oh, well, the motive couldn't have been personal animosity, but it very well could have been whether it was perceived or real. Mm-hmm. Either he perceived some sort of slight that led to animosity or they had met briefly that night or at a previous night. Jenny said the Mount Washington Tavern was Jody's favorite spot. So perhaps perhaps she rejected him in the past. There could have been personal animosity as a motive as well. Yeah, it's really hard, like you said, to rationalize in the mind of somebody that would do something like this. But I guess if the crime doesn't make sense, then whatever is going inside of their head also doesn't make sense. Yes, agreed. So and then we can also think about what if this was someone that she did know. It's kind of baffling to think that investigators wouldn't have made a connection by now either through her boyfriend or through her other friends, just trying to figure out everyone that she knew. It could have been someone that others didn't know about that she knew and they could have had some sort of relationship or some sort of whatever, a relationship of any kind of nature and other people just weren't aware of it and thus they haven't been able to make that connection. Yeah, if she was involved in something in private or maybe, I don't know, this is obviously a long shot, but like what if like... One of them was blackmailing the other and then something went wrong. I feel like that's like what you see in TV shows when like somebody ends up dead is if they like know something that they shouldn't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit of a long shot. Yeah. And I mean, I got pretty little liars in my head. Yeah, I think it's I mean, it was 1996 and people weren't texting and people weren't using social media. So it was a different time. So I think it's harder to trace mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, anything's possible if she was caught up in the wrong crowd if she was mixed up in drugs that's possible but i'll say it again you'd think that if she was mixed up in drugs or had a drug addiction or had amassed a drug debt for instance that led to her being killed which it's not unheard of but it permanently hinders collection of a debt You'd think that there would be drugs in her system if that had been an issue over time. But there weren't. Yeah. Yeah. So the key to solving this murder is finding this guy. And the key to finding this guy is finding some sort of connection or motive or the reason why he went up to talk to her. And we just can't seem... We just... It's a big question mark. There are other ways for it to be solved. I mean, and that's information or... DNA we have or we they have his fingerprints it's unclear if they have DNA Jenny didn't seem to think so she's pursuing having her clothes re-examined and extracted for potential DNA because like she said when the perpetrator leaned into her car put the car in park and grabbed something he had to have touched her yeah very likely so that's another avenue that that investigators could go down but i think in the absence of information and forensic evidence trying to profile him is kind of the natural way to go and since we know so little about any connection it makes sense why this case has stalled the way that it has yeah and it's really unfortunate because 
me personally, I really feel for Jenny and I don't know. I know that everybody's case deserves to be solved, but this is kind of like hitting home for me and it makes me kind of like appreciate what I have with my sister. <laughs> yeah, no, it's of course you, you take it personally. Yeah. When you know you I think a lot of people who get really fascinated in these cold cases, I think it's very common amongst people. And I'm one of these people. We're hosting a true crime podcast. I started in this because I reached out to Tim and Lance because I was a huge fan of of their podcast, Missing Maura Murray. I'd been following missing persons cases since I was a child. You did too. Yep. I relate to the interest and I think the reason for a lot of people is you you sort of have a feeling of relating to the victim. Yeah. And some people can take that to a level that's really unhealthy. I think that a missing person or a murdered person is a really natural vessel for projection. You know, they're not around to speak for themselves. You don't know them. Mm-hmm. All you know about them is how they're described by people who love them. So you hear about them, you hear about their interests, you hear about their personality. You think, oh, like maybe I could, maybe like I could have been their friend, or oh, that sounds like me. And then you you feel like you're relating to them, and then it's almost it almost becomes personal, and you want it to be solved. And I think there are a lot of empathetic true crime followers. I do think it can get to an extreme level where someone's people are thinking oh maybe i could have dated her and then you really get this idea in your head and it can get i think really unhealthy but the reason why i'm getting into this is you know in this case this is affecting someone who was an identical twin and Mm -hmm. we (laughs) you know we talked to jenny when i first spoke with her i think it was i think maybe a two-hour phone call and we were just sharing our experiences at growing up as a twin and being really close with your identical twin. And it just it breaks your heart yep. when you know exactly how that must feel to have that loss. Yeah, it's very profound, but I I can't say it enough. I truly admire her perseverance and she can still, you know, live her life and smile and be productive in society despite having this all this weight on her shoulders and all this pain not only that but she's really she's been very active in trying to get answers i mean she's put in a lot of money in in these billboards in you know suing the police department to try to get the case file i'm glad that they reached some sort of agreement i i wish she could have i wish more could have come out of it for her i think it's a shame when families don't have access to things as simple as an autopsy report or access to the surveillance footage that's pointing to the car when the crime happens little things like that i feel like would mean a lot to her and you know things are changing a little bit in the case of jennifer kessie in florida her family actually just won their lawsuit and the case files were released to the family's private investigator who's combing through it as we speak. I just think having a second set of eyes is really important. At the same time, I understand where law enforcement is coming from. You want to protect your information. You don't want all of the work that you've done to be compromised by everyone in the public knowing and you don't know who you can trust. In the Maura Murray case, you know, Fred Murray had sued the state of New Hampshire one year after the disappearance and he wanted access to the case files so he can go through it himself, so he can go through it with private investigators, and he lost. And it's just, it's devastating for these families. And, you know, Jenny fell somewhere in between the two where they agreed to just keep her more updated. But I can see both sides, so it's just a really impossible situation. Yeah, I can imagine that if I were in her shoes that I would be fighting as well, and I would want to know every little thing because there's they don't know anything And she's just in agony because of it. So I hope that, I don't know, if there's like the tiniest chance out there that somebody that is listening to this knows someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows something, then maybe they can do something. Maybe they can please empathize with Jenny and and let Jody rest in peace. If you have information, there is a cash reward of $31,000. You can remain anonymous. 
You can contact the Baltimore County Police at 410-307-2020 or Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-756-2587. True Crime Twins is written and hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. It is produced by Crawlspace Media. Our music was composed by the captain, host of True Crime Garage. Special thanks to Tim Polari, Lanserin Stirna, and to all of our listeners. Keep in touch with True Crime Twins on social media. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime Twins Podcast, on Twitter at True Crime Twins, and you can also email us with any questions or comments at truecrimetwinspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe.